Jesus House in pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential, impacting lives. This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London. God bless you. Pastor A.R. Bernard, and it is my pleasure to be with you again at this Mandate Men's Conference. My thanks to my dear friend and brother, uh, Pastor Agu, his lovely wife, and just the ministry that he has been engaged in for so many years, bringing God's love, life, and light to the world. I want to share something uh, specific with you Today, I know the overall context is thriving in uncertain times or challenging times, but I want to give you a perspective that has helped me navigate this present age, this life that we are now living in as Christians, as believers, especially as men of God. So today I want to talk about the kingdom of God. It is not enough time for me to deal with it comprehensively and expansively, but if I can give you a somewhat aerial view, drill down a bit, it will leave you with a perspective on the kingdom that I think will empower you that no matter what times you face, no matter what life throws your way, you have an anchor for your soul, whether it's a pandemic, whether it's economic crisis, political strife, divisions around us, conflicts around us. No, we should be steady no matter what season we may find ourselves. So I hope that today's presentation will help to place that anchor where it needs to be. And remember, when an anchor is down, you know, the wind and waves may carry us a bit, but the anchor keeps us from being taken away by the storm. So that's what I want to share with you and I'm looking forward to it. So the kingdom of God, a term that we Christians have heard about, talked about, no matter what level of growth or biblical knowledge we are at, we've heard the term, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And there's much debate as to what it is and what it isn't and their various camps of understanding. I've been walking with the Lord Jesus for 45 years, and I will tell you, I've gone through different versions of understanding what that kingdom is and how it applies to us here today. And I thank God for an open heart and an open mind to learn, to grow, because my passion, my drive, has always been the pursuit of truth. So I've never gotten caught up in one particular perspective or doctrine. I look to understand the core truth and then build on that truth, understanding different perspectives. So I've learned that in order to fully understand the New Testament, you have to have an understanding of the Old Testament. Uh, they work together. So you can't really understand and appreciate Revelation without understanding and appreciating the book of Daniel. You can't appreciate the book of Hebrews without understanding the book of Leviticus and the, the priesthood and the offerings and all of those things. You can't fully understand the, the new exodus 
that Jesus brings in his ministry in the Gospels if you don't understand the Exodus story uh, in the Old Testament. So the Old Testament enfolds Christ. The New Testament unfolds Christ. The Old Testament speaks of the promise of a kingdom, a Davidic kingdom, to a son of David who would be called by Yahweh his own son, the son of God. And that kingdom would be a kingdom that Daniel said would be of no end. It would be an endless, eternal kingdom. And even the use of that language, infinite, eternal, uh, never-ending, has we have to have discussion about. But let me suffice it to say that the kingdom that was promised to David, to the nation of Israel, would come through a son, a son of God. And that's why Jesus presents himself as such, the son of God. In the scriptures, when, and we celebrate it, what we call uh, Palm Sunday, when he enters Jerusalem, and what are they saying? Glory to God, Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna to the son of David, because they understood that Messiah would come and he would be the offspring of David. So Jesus essentially was a fulfillment of the promise of the Davidic kingdom, the kingdom of the heavens, the kingdom of God would come to the earth. Now, the Old Testament image of that kingdom was that when the kingdom came and the king came, the messianic king came, he would put an end to sin, purge the earth of, of evil, sickness, disease, death, and war. And this is what was expected. So when Jesus came and he preached, the kingdom of heaven has arrived, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, therefore repent, all right, it was, it was wonderful news and to be embraced, but they were still looking for the Old Testament promise that everything would change. And when Jesus preached the kingdom and brought the kingdom, but in a different form than they expected, it created a lot of confusion that even caused many to reject him as the promised Messiah. And here we are 2,000 years later, and we're still debating about what the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of heaven really is. I remember in my early Christianity, I thought the kingdom of heaven was what I go to after I die. You know, I enter the heaven, and that's the place that I'm going to be in a blissful state of free from all of this stuff here on earth. But the kingdom is more than that. The kingdom is very present here on earth, and this is what Jesus preached. So I want to give you a bit of a, a, a chart uh, to help us make sense of it and make sense of the language. Because essentially, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, and I'm using the terms interchangeably, some in certain doctrines make a clear distinction of those two. But it's difficult to do that within the scripture because it's used interchangeably. The Gospel of Matthew uses the, the kingdom of, 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 of heaven in a way that is pointing to the promise, the Old Testament promise of a king that would sit on the throne of David and bring relief to Israel and free it from its oppression from Gentile powers and empires. So, 
the kingdom uh, is a, a, a way of thinking, being, and doing, and experiencing life. It's a comprehensive way of seeing life that informs our, 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 our words, thoughts, actions, motives, attitudes, and our choices. And that's really the essence of the kingdom here and now. It is indeed the reign of God, the government of God in the earth. But begun not the way the Old Testament prophets saw it and expected it, but began in a way that Jesus called the mysteries of the kingdom. So let me go to the board and um, look at some passages, but give you the, the problem that has faced so many as they have thought about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of the heavens. The language creates something called, uh, how can I put it? The kingdom is now, which means present, and the kingdom is not yet, which means future. And this confuses people because how can it be now and not yet? How can it be present and, 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 and yet future? Yet that's exactly the kingdom teaching that Jesus brought, especially through the Gospels and reinforced by the writings of the epistles. So he presented a kingdom, the reign and rule of God, now in the present, but also not yet in the future. And this now and present and not yet and future is divided by his second coming, the second advent. His first advent came 2,000 years ago, and he came to deal with spiritual rebellion first, which allowed for the redemption of humanity. We don't have the time to go into that, but suffice it to say that Jesus taught that he would come again. So there would be a resurrection, a first resurrection, because the Bible teaches there are two resurrections. There's a first resurrection and a second resurrection or a second death. But there is the first advent when he came 2,000 years ago. We celebrate it every Christmas. But there is his second advent. And during this period between creation, if we were to call this creation, when everything began, to his second advent, it is referred to in Scripture as this present age. This present age. The age we're in right now. And this is referred to as the age to come. So what we see is two periods, an age, an eon, a period of time from creation. And we're talking about not just the creation of Adam and Eve, but really the fall, because that's when things changed and propelled humanity into its present fallen condition. 
But from the time of the beginning, when Adam and Eve were created and they fell, to the second coming of Christ, the Bible refers to this whole period. And there are, you know, dispensational teachers. They are uh, covenantal uh, theology teachers. And all of this is broken up into several periods. And they debate. Is it, you know, the seven dispensational, dispensational teachers, etc. You know, rapture, tribulation. We're not getting into all of that. Suffice it to say that the Bible clearly teaches. And, and let's go to it. Let's go to the book of Galatians, chapter 1, verse 4. In fact, we'll back up to, great, to, to verse 3. Galatians 1, 3, it says, Grace to you, and I'm reading out of the New King James Version, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this, notice, present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So it's called this present age, and one of the characteristics of this present age is evil. That's real. That's real. So how is it that the kingdom of God or the kingdom of the heavens has come, and yet there's still evil present in the world. And that confuses a lot of people because they expect that if the kingdom of God came, which Jesus announced, then there should not be that kind of evil. And I forgot to put this, resurrection number one. And see, we're dealing with this in a way that we don't get into the argument of the details. Well, pre-tribulation, rapture, and all that kind of stuff. We're just talking about the age, the characteristics of these periods that the scripture plainly reveals. This present age, which we are in right now, if we were to put a mark on Jesus' first advent, you know, 2,000 years ago, you know, I, it, it's somewhere in there. I'm not going to put the mark because then it'll give an idea, well, then we must be real close. We don't know. Jesus said, of the hour of his return, no man knows. Not the angels in heaven, not even the Son of Man knows. Only the Father in heaven. So when you get all these people predicting when Jesus is going to come back, you know, and this has been going on for centuries, um, we don't touch that because the scripture's clear. Nobody knows except the Father. So, and he's kept it that way. So there is now this present age in which we live, and there is an age to come, which is also called the kingdom age. And during that new age, that new period, that new kingdom time, Jesus is going to physically reign on earth and remove and purge from the earth evil, sickness, death, disease, all of those things are going to be dealt with. But right now, we are in this present age. This is where we are. How long is it going to last? The Bible doesn't tell us. But it is important that we know, especially as believers, how we ought to function in this present evil age. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter um, 4, and let's go to verse 3, all right? And the Apostle Paul says, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age, notice Jesus has established the kingdom, but there's still the little g, God of this age. 
So although Jesus established himself, overthrew Satan through his death on the cross and secured victory through his resurrection, during this period of time, Satan is still active as the God of this age. This period. So he is exercising during this particular period great power, great influence. So it says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of men. The prince of this world is what he's called, or the prince of this world, meaning the social order of things. And this particular period. So if we were to move on from here, and let's talk about the characteristics of this present age, what are the characteristics? Okay, it is evil. <laughs> and evil traffics in deceit, injustice, and chaos. It is heavily influenced and shaped and fashioned by Satan, the adversary, as the god of this social order. And I'm using this to express the word world or cosmos. It is driven, Galatians chapter, chapter 5, you could look at the, what is called the works of the flesh, all right? It's, it's driven by ambition. It's driven by wealth. Prosperity, power, radical individualism. Boy, am I getting on the United States now? Individualism, fear instead of faith. And we can go on and on and on. But that's what characterizes this present evil age. And, and God, Yahweh, has allowed Satan to exercise a measure, a great measure of influence and power in this present age. As I said, the trafficking of, of deceit, deception, injustice, chaos. And what's beautiful in this passage in 2 Corinthians, let's look at verse 4, whose minds intellects, the God of this age has blinded who do not believe lest the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So humanity is characterized by spiritual and moral blindness, especially when it comes to Jesus Christ and the gospel of Christ, the love, life, and light of God that has been gifted to humanity in the person of Jesus Christ. They are blinded to it. So Satan's objective is to keep men from experiencing this 
this wonderful good news, this wonderful liberation that comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. So the root of evil, think about this, all right? The God of this world has blinded the minds of men. So the root of evil, you know, the love of money is the root of all evil. Yeah, it says that in relationship to money, but all evil is rooted in blindness, darkness, and unbelief. And the primary blindness, as I said, is blindness to the saving grace that God has sent in the light, which is Jesus Christ. So the kingdom of this world, all right, is dominated by Satan. He is the one who is behind the poverty, the war, the conflict, the, the, the sickness, the disease. He is the one who's behind the political and social upheavals and divisions that we're experiencing around the world and have experienced, uh, you know, especially throughout the last 2,000 years. Now, are you, am I saying that, that uh, men are no longer responsible for their choices? No. At the same time, we have personal responsibility. We have personal choices. We make those personal choices. But behind the systems and structures that we see that, that traffic in deception, that traffic in injustice and chaos, we will find the work in the hand of Satan. He is the adversary, our adversary. So when we think about the kingdom of God, all right, we have to understand that all of that is going on in this present evil age. And at the same time now, Jesus introduces in this period the kingdom of God. So there are two forces at work, two spiritual forces at work, the forces of Satan and the forces of the kingdom of God that comes through the Holy Spirit in this present age. In this present age, God is gathering through the Holy Spirit people into the church, the body of Christ. He's taking them out of that darkness, out of that blindness, bringing them into the light of the gospel of Christ and bringing them into the joys of being in relationship with Yahweh, with Jehovah God. So as I said before, Jesus preached, the kingdom of heaven has arrived. It is at hand. It's not coming just out in the future. It's here now. The problem was, it wasn't manifesting the way they expected they were expecting that Davidic kingdom to manifest in a way that all sin, sickness, disease, war, everything was ended instantly at the coming. But that's not what he said. In fact, in, in one beautiful passage in Luke chapter uh, 17, he said, uh, verse 20, he said that the kingdom does not come with observation. In other words, there will not be ocular evidence. You won't be able to see it and say, there it is in physical manifestation. He said, no, the kingdom of heaven is within you. That blew them away. They didn't understand that. The kingdom of God, in other words, would begin in spiritual form, in mystery form, in the human heart. That's where it would start. And it would influence. In fact, let's go to Luke chapter 17 and take a look at that passage. Luke 17 Let's go down to verse 20. Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, 
The kingdom of God does not come with observation, ocular evidence. You're not going to be able to look at it and say, there it is, that's it. No. Nor will they say, see here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. So it was going to come in a mystery form, begin in the hearts of human beings. That he would pull out of darkness, out from the power of the God of this world, bring them into the spiritual kingdom and begin to use them and their gift, talents, and abilities to bring light into this darkness, to bring God's love, life, and light to this world. So, let's see. So, the kingdom of God would begin within. And this is how we understand the parables of Jesus. Because the kingdom would begin in seed form, he said, like a mustard seed. And it would grow and expand. It would influence the world like leaven, he said. And at the second coming, all right, of Christ, he would establish the kingdom openly, subduing all the kingdoms of men and bringing them under the kingship of Jesus Christ. So the parables that he talked about, all right, explain the kingdom of God as it would function not in the future, but in this present age. And if we don't understand that, then we will read the parables of Jesus and we'll think that it's talking about something in the future. No, it's talking about God being here right now in spiritual form, all right, in the hearts of human beings, transforming those hearts and through those individuals, changing the world. So the parables present the kingdom, I'll say it again, the parables present the kingdom as it is functioning in this present age. And that's why Jesus called the parables the mysteries of the kingdom. He said, behold, I show you, talking, about it to his, talking to his disciples, I show you the mysteries of the kingdom. He even said to his disciples, he says, he says and it was a question that they asked him because they heard him speak to the crowds one way, right? And then he would speak in mystery form. And then he would take them privately and explain what he was saying to them privately. And he said, why do you speak to them in parables? He said, because to you, it's given to know the, the mysteries, the secrets of the kingdom, all right, and how it's going to function in this present age, but to them, it is not given. So that they have eyes, can't see ears, they can't hear hearts that they can't understand. So the parables of Jesus, again, let me say this again, this is so, so important. Remember, the kingdom is now and present, but the kingdom is also not yet and future. And once you understand that, it'll help you interpret prophecy because a lot of the prophetic is what? Now and present, but also not yet and future. And there are people who push everything off into the future. There are people who push it all into the past. Both are wrong. You have to balance the two. And the question is, how do we discern? How do we identify what is present and what is not yet? Let's approach this because remember, I'll say it again. He called the parables the mysteries of the kingdom, the mysteries of the reign and rule of God in this present age. The kingdom has come, but in mystery form. I want to take, and I, I, we don't have the time to break all of these down, but I want to at least take one parable that is critical, and that is the parable of the wheat and the tear. That's the King James, King James language, and it's found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, verse 24. 
Let's go to it, Matthew 13, 24, and I want to I read through it, all right? And then we'll go further in, the, in, in, in that chapter to see how Jesus interpreted, how did he explain it. Verse 24, um, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 13, okay, Matthew 13, 24, here we go. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tare among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain has sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. Notice they were there all along, but they didn't appear as tare until harvest time. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, do you, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, an enemy has done this. The servants said to him, listen to what they say, do you want us to then gather them up? In other words, do you want us to uproot the, the, the tear from the wheat? And he said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barns. Let me just interject this because uh, wheat and tare look a lot alike while they're growing together. The only way you can tell the difference is if you dig them up by the root and you'll find the root of the wheat, uh, of the tear rather, wrapped around the wheat. In other words, lies and untruth need truth to secure itself. The only time you see the difference is at harvest time because the tear are blackened while the wheat is a different color, all right? And you know the, the color of wheat, it's like a golden color, right? So while they're growing, you can't tell the difference. It's not until harvest that you can tell the difference between them. Now, let's, let's go back because there's some observations here. In fact, let me go, let's go down to verse 36 because that's where Jesus actually explains the meaning of this parable. I think that's so important. Then Jesus sent, verse 36, then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said to them, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. But the tares are the sons or children of the wicked one. And we know who that is. The enemy who sowed them is, there it is, the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. 
the Son of Man will send out his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Notice he said that he will remove all of the things that offend him in the kingdom. So the kingdom of God in its present form is a mixture. It's a mixture of good and evil. And we got to see, well, wait a minute. Does that mean that, 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 is that talking about the church? No. And that's one of the problems in the understanding of this particular parable. He was not, notice what it says, most important. It says in verse 38, he said, the field... The field is the world, the social order, not the church. And I remember in the early days of my, 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 my Christian walk, I would hear sermons, I would hear preaching, I would read books that say that the wheat and the tear were in the church and the, 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 the wheat were the true believers and the tear were professing or false believers that Satan planted in the church. A lot of undercover conspiracy going on there. But Jesus didn't say that the, the, the kingdom, the field is the church. He said the field is the world. So the world would progress with a mixture of good and evil. It would have a mixed character during this particular age. During this present age, the world, humanity, social order would have a mixed character of good and evil. And he describes, he said, the good are the children of the kingdom of God and the bad seed are the children of the wicked one. So you would have a mixture of those who are surrendered and being influenced by the kingdom of God, by the spirit of God by the love, life, and light that came to humanity through Jesus Christ. That's why I said the kingdom is a way of, of seeing and understanding life, a comprehensive way of seeing and understanding and experiencing life that informs our thoughts, motives, actions, attitudes, our choices. That's the form of the kingdom right now in mystery form during this present age. So this present age would be a mixed character of good and evil. Jesus also says in the parable that the kingdom of God has come and is already at work. It's present. It's, it's changing the, the society, all right, in very subtle ways. In fact, in one parable, he said, it's like leaven that's put in to something and causes it to grow. You can't see how it's working, but it's causing it to grow. It's like leaven in bread. You put leaven, which is yeast, you put that in bread, and you know what happens. You put that in the dough, and it causes it to rise. You don't see it, but you see the effects of it. You see the impact of it. Again, the good seed are the children of the kingdom, ruled and influenced by the kingdom of God. The bad seed are the children of the kingdom of Satan, ruled and influenced by Satan. And the servants ask, this is what they ask, should we remove the tear from among the wheat? What did he say? No. Let them both grow together. And at harvest time, they will be separated. So, this present age is marked by both the activity 
of Satan and the activity of God. Two forces at work towards different ends. The activity of the children of the kingdom of God and the activity of the children of the kingdom of Satan. So it is in this present age that Jesus enters and he says, behold, I come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. How are we to understand that? Does it mean that all of our problems are going to disappear and we're not going to have to deal with the realities of a fallen planet, fallen creation, and fallen humanity? No, not at all. This present age, remember, its character is a mixture of good and evil. A mixture, which means that life is both to be experienced in the good and to experience and to be experienced in the evil. So what does that mean? What's going on here? I'm glad you asked. And how should we look at it as believers? In this present age, remember, I come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. I come to bring light to the darkness. And we enter the kingdom of God, the government of God, through the new birth. When we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, believing that his death on that cross made it possible for us to be purged of sin spiritually and our soul to be saved and his resurrection justified. It brought justification to us to seal the deal. Now we begin to live in God's favor. And this is what grace means. It means to be living in a state of God's favor upon us. So, in this present age, this present age, we are called, John 10.10, 10, I've come that you might have life, that you might have it more abundantly. This present age, ah, I'll get to that, that verse I was just going to share. Number one, we are called to a rich, joyful life. And there are no dollar signs around rich because it's not talking about money. It's talking about richness of depth and meaning. In fact, overflowing. We are called to a life that's overflowing. with meaningful activities. We're engaged in things that are not self-destructive, that don't rob us and take away from us. We are involved in things that are going to add to our lives. We're going to uh, do things that create assets and not liabilities, that have meaning attached to them, associated with them. Number three, we're going to go through this. We're, going, we're, being, we're called to a life of discovering our God-given gifts, talents, abilities, using them to make a difference in this world. Wow, I love that. Discovering, we're called to a life of discovering our God-given gifts, talents, abilities, and using them to make a difference in this world. It's what the Jews call tikkun olam, repairing the world, making the world a better place. It's not that we're going to change it because this present age, until Jesus returns, all right, physically to this earth in his second coming, we're going to see the mixture of good and evil. 
So we're called to a life by Jesus of developing our strengths while managing our weaknesses. I'll say it again, developing our strengths while managing our weaknesses. And we all have strengths and weaknesses. We are called to a life of living under the personal favor and blessing of God. And that's what grace is. In our congregation, we talk about grace and peace. What are we saying? God's favor be upon you and God's peace be with you. We are called to a life of living in continual fellowship with Yahweh, with God. This is what David prophesied when he talked about this in the 23rd Psalm. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. This present age is an age of evil. It's an age where the God of this world is being allowed, Satan, to exercise a great measure of power and influence on what's happening on the world stage and in the human heart. But at the same time, God prepares a table before us believers, his children, in the presence of all of this evil, in the presence of this enemy who's at work. The present age, the children of God are called to be empowered to live and thrive in the presence of our adversary, the devil. So, what does it say? Let me wrap up with this. This present age is a call. We're going to experience both what? Good and evil. You know, and I say this because there's some Christians who, when bad things happen to them, they're shocked and wondering what did they do wrong as though they're so special they're not supposed to experience bad things. No, in this present age, we're all challenged by it, facing it. We are facing what? Good and evil. We are facing, I'm not going to write them all on there, threat. Life is both threat and promise. That's right. I'll say it again. Life is both threat and promise at the same time. It sounds paradoxical because it is. Life is both adversity and opportunity. Life is opportunity with opposition. Prosperity and poverty. Life is success and failure. Joy and sorrow. Health and sickness. Life and death. We build but we must protect what we build while we're building it. That's the life that we're in. This is the world. In other words, the kingdom of God is in this present age a, 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 a state of spirit and mind that we entered when we were born again. It is, again, a comprehensive way of thinking, being, doing, and experience life. Experiencing life that informs our words, thoughts, motives, actions, attitude, and our choices. And is it, is it, it is in times of trouble, I'm, I'm, I'm pumped here, is it, in, it, it is in times of trouble that the divine nature in us, that we remember we have been made partakers of his divine nature by the new birth, and it is especially in times of trouble that the divine nature in us awakens with passion, with creativity and fervor towards purpose. It's in times like these that we, the people of God, rise to the occasion. Life is God's gift to us. What we do with it is our gift back 
to God. And God knew that this gift of life would be given in the face of opposition, evil, and forces that look to undermine the gift of God in us. Jesus said, in this present age, you will have persecution, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome this present evil age. He said, lo, I'm with you always. And that means two things, proximity and participation. It means proximity in that his presence is always with us. Literally, his presence is with us. He doesn't come and go. Remember, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit now dwells in each of us as believers. So proximity, he is present. Secondly, lo, I'm with you always means participation. He's not just a spectator standing by, watching. No, he is actively involved in every aspect of our lives. He said, the very hairs of our head are numbered. He said, it is our heavenly father's good pleasure to give us his kingdom. Every part of who we are, as we represent him in this dark age that we're in, we are the light that shines in that darkness. And especially in times like these, economic crisis because of the pandemic, situations politically, socially, racial upheaval. Uh, you know, we're challenging the status quo. We're challenging what's established uh, for, for not just decades, but for centuries that need to be dismantled or changed, revisited in some way. These are perilous times, but this is when we shine because the light of God is in us. Get excited. Tap into the creativity of God. Tap into the passion of God. Tap into the divine nature that is inside of you. Bring out that creativity, that innovation, that passion, that fervor towards purpose. I hope you've been blessed by this. Thank you, and God bless. 